Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your Son, Jesus Christ. He went to the cross and died for our sins, and you raised him from the dead three days later. And you've made it such that simply believing in this good news about your Son is all you, is all you ask. And by believing, we know that we have eternal life and that you have declared us as righteous in your eyes forever. Father, this morning, we ask the Holy Spirit would guide and direct all the goings-on here, the preaching and hearing of the Word of God, the singing, the fellowship with one another, the giving. And Father, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Well, I'm jealous of the singers today. They got to do that closer walk all the way down the aisle. (laughs) A couple of announcements today before we get started. This month, as many of you know, as most of you know, we have been uh, sharing and looking at, praying for the Ministry of Grace Bible Church Pakistan. And uh, this is, of course, the last Sunday of March, and so... At this time, I just want to again remind you that the church will be given a donation to this ministry. And if you'd like to join us, we'd welcome that. Um, you can, as I've mentioned before, we have a box in the back if you'd like to, or um, you can mail it. Um, just don't give it to me because I'll lose it. So other than that, um, a couple of schedule items, actually three. Um, next Sunday is the first Sunday of April, so we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. The following Sunday, we're going to pick up our outreach ministry once again. So we're going to have a session the following Sunday, April 14th, after service. And the first Sunday of May, we are going to be joined by Pastor Kingsley. He is, a, um, yeah, he is originally from Nigeria. He has a ministry throughout Africa, and he now lives in Edmonton, Canada. So if you can keep the geography all straight, you're doing well. But he'll be here first Sunday of May, which is not too long from now. All right, give everybody a chance to write that down if need be. Title of today's message comes from the first chapter of Corinthians, of 1 Corinthians, and it is We Preach Christ Crucified. We Preach Christ Crucified. Please turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, starting in verse 17. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, starting in verse 17. Paul emphasizes this aspect of the gospel, Christ crucified. We know that the gospel then moves to Christ resurrected from the dead. But first, Paul needs the Corinthians in particular to focus on the implications of the fact that Christ was crucified for them. Let's read together today, starting in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void, of no effect. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, the unbeliever. But to us who are being saved, believers, 
It is the power of God. The word of the cross to the believer is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, God says. And the cleverness of the clever, I will set aside. That is not going to work. One thing and one thing only. The preaching of the gospel, the word of the cross. That's where all the power is. Verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. He goes on. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews that are seeking signs, a stumbling block. To the Gentiles who are searching for wisdom, foolishness. But to those who are the call, believers, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what do we have there? Well, today, after, after addressing, last week we saw this, after addressing the problem of rivalries in the church at Corinth, Paul pivots. And you remember that we saw at the end of last week what was really um, on his heart to get across to the Corinthians and now to us. The great theme of this letter is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so after pointing out the, the problems with their rivalries, the fact that they're making a big deal about who baptized them and so forth, he is now going to puncture their illusions. And make no mistake, that's what um, rivalries are. It's an illusion. That's what wisdom of the world is. It's an illusion. That's what the need for signs is. It's an illusion. In other words, it all distracts and keeps you away from the issue, which is the power of the word of the cross. The word of the cross. And look again in 1 Corinthians 1, 17-18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void, would not be of no effect. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Notice in verse 17, what is it that can make the cross of Christ void or ineffective. It is preaching the gospel in cleverness of speech. It's preaching the gospel, but in the wrong way, with cleverness of speech. You see, that was where it was at for the Corinthians. They were really into cleverness of speech. They, they actually measured the value of a man by the brilliance of his arguments and his oratory, how well-spoken he was. But make no mistake, we see here Cleverness of speech is the enemy of the cross of Christ. Think about that. Cleverness of speech in giving the gospel is the enemy because it makes it ineffective in that moment. Why? Because the people are impressed and focused on cleverness of speech. That's what they, that's what, and they like that. Right? I mean, they like going out and saying, you know, I heard a really clever thing today. Man, that guy could really speak. Totally missing what? The power of the word of the cross. Again, cleverness of speech is the enemy of the cross of Christ. What does it mean? It means this. It means don't be clever or witty or intellectual when you preach the gospel. None of those things. 
put that aside. Here's the deal. When you think about preaching the gospel, I want you to understand that the Lord asks us to be heralds, not composers. In other words, to just take the message that we've been given and deliver it as is. It's his message. It's not ours. And we should not be composing, adding things to it, and so forth. We should not be crafting our own message. We're delivering the message of another. That's what a herald does. He comes and he delivers the message he's supposed to give. So what we do is simply take the message God has given us, the word of the cross, Christ crucified, and proclaim it just as it is. Don't try to embellish it, water it down, be clever in how you present it, just the way it is. No embellishing at all. Now, verse 18, the very next verse, explains why this is a big problem. Why is it that appealing to the intellect of the natural-minded man, it's a big mistake? Why? For we see it right here. It's, this is why. Because our message is foolishness to them. And so, so by appealing to their intellect, by appealing to their natural-minded man, then we are, we are totally drawing them away from the power, which is the word of the cross. To them, it's foolishness. And yet, that's, we're going to see that's the very thing about it that will ultimately be the power by which they'll have an opportunity to believe. Remember, those who are perishing. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's certainly not foolishness to us. But you see, we have been, we've been made alive in the Spirit. And so we can now spiritually appraise things. You see, we were just like them. Before we came believers in Christ, the word of the cross seemed foolish to us. I mean, you may not think that, but don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, because that's what the natural mind thinks. It looks at that and says, you know, how can it be? How can that be the way in which God would save us? Can't be. That's what I mean by the foolishness. Makes no sense. So that's why we are not to embellish or appeal to their intellect or any of those things, but simply deliver the message. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We're all born sinners. We need a Savior. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He went to the cross 2,000 years ago. A horrible death. And He did that so that he would, he would die for our sins. It was we were the criminals. He was sinless. And then He died and was buried and He was raised from the dead. That's what we're called to deliver. That's the message. And so we are to deliver it just as it is. And here's the interesting thing, though. The way that the, these people, the lost, think, think it is the way that the overwhelming majority of the people in this world think. That should explain sometimes why we're not able to get through to them. And like, because they don't think right. They think they're deluded, actually. And so trying to appeal to a sick mind is just not going to work. All right? Whatever you tell them, and trying to convince them intellectually will just be of no effect to them. Now, there are two kinds of people, only two, in this earth, in all the human race. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And the question I have this morning is, which are you? Are you among those who are perishing? Or are you among those who are being saved? Okay, I think most people today understand. I mean, people that are dedicated to God's word clearly are being saved. And then 
those who are perishing? Which, which, are, which is your co-worker? Which is your neighbor? Are they among those who are perishing? Or are they among those who are being saved? How about your family members? Are they among those who are perishing? Or those who are being saved? It's the most crucial question there is. There's no other question that really matters besides that. All right. By the way, how do you know the answer to that question? Well, we have it right here. Those who are perishing, the lost, see the word of the cross as foolishness. Okay? They may laugh at it. Or they may get angry at it. But either way, they see it as foolishness. That's how you know that they're perishing. That's how you know that they're lost. On the other hand, those who are being saved, believers... They see and hear the word of the cross as the very power of God. They understand. Why do they understand? Because they're spiritually appraising it. We would be no different if it weren't for the fact that the Holy Spirit helped us on the day of our salvation and he remains in our hearts. And because of that, we have the ability to see things on a spiritual level the way God sees it. No longer the way man sees it. But they're still stuck over here. So the believers are the ones who see the word of the cross as the power of God. And the first time you saw that was the day you believed. Because write it down, 2 Corinthians 6. On the day that you believed, the day of your salvation, God helped you. God helped you. Before that day, God helped you. But on that day, He helped you. That's the only way anybody can believe. It's through the Spirit's ministry to the unbeliever. So, the word of the cross, remember, it's the power of God. By the way, the word of the cross is not simply good advice. Some people treat it that way. Oh, I'd be well advised to think about what's going on there. It's, it's not information about God. That's how a lot of other people... Here, here's the information. No, it's what? It's the power of God. And notice here, it's the word itself. It's not how you speak it. It's not what you put around it. It's the word itself. There's power in the very word of the cross. You mention the cross, there's power in that word. In the words. In the words, when they're God's words. That's where the power comes from. The word of God is powerful. Not the words of men, though they may seem to be wise. They're not powerful. They're powerless. The word of God is powerful. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It is the word that is the power to save people. Not any word, but the word of the cross, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. Notice what is said here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Of course, I'm going to mess you up a little bit because I want to read the King James on this. I think it's a better way to see it. So, Hebrews 4. 4.12 For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's only the word of God that can penetrate and, and, and reveal to the unbeliever that their thoughts are wrong, that their intentions are all wrong, that they have a sick heart and a deluded mind. Only God's word can do that. You can't convince them of that by your arguments. You can't. You only rely on the word itself 
to be the one thing that can penetrate and reveal to them the wickedness of their thoughts and intents. It's piercing. And there is no more piercing word than the word of the cross. That's what gets it done if it's going to get done. It's just preaching the gospel just as it is. That's where all the power is. It's again, I know I'm repeating myself because I want you to really you know, take this in today and consider it the next time you have an opportunity to witness. It's the power of God's words. But the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It, the message of Christ crucified makes no sense to the natural-minded man. It makes no sense. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the fact is, now we may, we may miss this because it's been 2,000 years, but, but the time in which Paul preached, the Roman crucifixion was a reality. It was going on. And it was an absolutely horrible death. It's the most shameful way to die. I mean, today, um, the thing that we can kind of get our arms around this, we'd be thinking about somebody who was killed in the electric chair. I mean, that's what the cross was. It was, it was reserved for hardened criminals, for wicked slaves and rebels. And to the natural-minded man, understanding that crucifixion was, it was designed for hardened criminals and wicked slaves and rebels, that's how the natural-minded man saw whoever was on a cross. And for them to hear the fact that Jesus Christ was put to death on a cross, it made it no sense to them that this would be God in the flesh, this would be the Savior of the world. It makes no sense. Now, it still doesn't make sense to the natural-minded man. It's a snare to the natural-minded man. It's nonsense to them. We need to understand this because why? Because if we're trying to outsmart them, all right, it's not going to work because we're trying to outsmart them with what they see is nonsense. It's the power of the Word of God is the only thing that can get through to them. In any event, I want to read from something that Cicero, he was a, you may have heard of him, he was a Roman statesman and a great speaker in the, around the same time, a little before um, Christ was crucified. But one time he, he was um, learning about the crucifixion or the potential crucifixion of a Roman citizen. And that wasn't supposed to happen. This is what he said. He said, the very word cross should be far removed. This is the natural-minded man now. The very word cross should be far removed, not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. In other words, in other words respectable people didn't want to know anything. They didn't want to focus on it. They didn't want to think about it. They didn't want to hear about it. None of that. That's the natural-minded man. And, it, and if we understand that, we understand that there's something about that when we preach the gospel. It's an affront to them. They don't want to hear about it. They think it's insane that somebody would be worshipped who died on a cross. So the people of the world, and this is today as well as back then, to the people of the world, the people you meet every day that are not believers in Christ, that are lost, to those people, the idea that a crucified man would be the Savior of the world was ridiculous to them. It made no sense to them. That's still the case today. It makes no sense to them. I know we may not want to think that because it makes all the sense in the world to us. We understand the power of the cross. We know that the blood of Christ wipes away our sins. We know that He defeated evil and Satan on the cross. We know that. Why? Well, we don't know that because it makes sense to us, by the way. 
We know that because the, it's, the Spirit has opened our hearts and our eyes to God's way of looking at things, not man's way. If it weren't for the Spirit, we wouldn't see it any differently. If it weren't for the Spirit, we wouldn't look at the Bible as God's Word. We would look at it maybe as a great book, you know, something you study, but we would not see it for what it is, God's Word. The Spirit is the one who allows us and opens our hearts to the facts of that. So never, never kid yourself that you figured it out or that somehow you came to the conclusion that the, that the Bible is God's Word. You didn't. The Holy Spirit opened your eyes, the eyes of your heart, to that fact. That's why, if you ever notice in the Bible... The Bible never tries to prove it, that it itself is the Word of God. Never. It doesn't try to prove it. It doesn't have an argument at the beginning of the book to say, here's why you should see the Bible as the Word of God. You know what it does? In the beginning, God takes it for granted. Why? Because those who are of the Spirit will get that instantly. Okay, this is God speaking. So that's the thing we have to understand. To the world, the idea of a crucified man being the savior of the world, was ridiculous. That his blood would wipe away sins was madness to them. It was nonsense. Why? Because they saw a person on the cross as somebody who was either a slave, a rebel, or a hardened criminal. But the power of the word of the cross turns everything they honored and everything the people of the world today honor upside down. Upside down. You see, back then... And even today, in different ways, back then their gods were powerful. If you ever study Greek mythology, you know what I mean. And in fact, the more powerful, the higher up they were. And yet Christ on the cross was totally powerless. It made absolutely no sense to them that the one who was powerless on the cross is God's son and the savior of the world. Why? Because they were stuck in their own ways of thinking. We might call it today the conventional wisdom. And the conventional wisdom will never come to this conclusion. Never. So, and even today, you know, we don't know, we, well, we do know people who worship false gods. Of course we do. All of the false religions, all of the cults and so forth. Or those who actually may not call it a religion at all, but they worship science. Or they worship the, study, the studies that man can come up with. Human philosophy. Those kind of things. They see that as powerful. You know, many, many people in the world today think of the most powerful thing as science, as the things science can do. Now, on a worldly level, that makes all the sense in the world because they've seen science produce nuclear weapons, for example. So that makes sense to the natural-minded man. On the other hand, a man dying on a cross being God's power does not to the world, to the natural-minded man. Not only that, but Jesus was a non-citizen. He was a non-citizen of Rome. How could a non-citizen in the Roman Empire be God's son? How could that be? How could somebody who was put to death by crucifixion by the Roman Empire be God's son? The word of the cross makes no sense to the unbeliever. What does that mean for us? It means our job is not to try to make sense of it for them. Now that might, that might rub you the wrong way. Because all of us have tried that. I've tried it. And it didn't work. And now I understand why. Because our job is not to try to make sense of it for them. Why? Because that's using our words, being clever, trying to outsmart them, trying to impress them. 
That's never going to work. It'll not work at all. So therefore, that's not our job. In other words, quit trying to make the message of the cross reasonable. See, that's a contradiction. Why? Because the message of the cross is what to the natural-minded man? Foolishness. So they're not going to listen to you. In fact, they're going to think you're a kook. Well, they'll probably think that anyway. If you try to make it make sense to them, they'll ridicule that. That's not the way to do it. What is the way to do it? See, this is why I have to repeat. <laughs> to be a herald, to simply, what, Frank? Directly at it. That's right. Take the word of the cross itself. Don't pull your punches. Don't water it down. Speak the gospel to people. That's how to, that's how to get to them. If, it's, if anything is going to get to them, that will. The message of the cross is an affront to the world. It's an insult to the world. It, it, it contradicts everything that the world thinks is important and good and to be worshipped and to be wise and intelligent. The, the word of the cross, the message of the cross is an affront to the world because it rejects everything they hold dear. I was thinking about, as I often do, see, one, one way I get to think about and see the ways of the world, the wisdom of the world, is through commercials on television. I know you because why? Because that's the way they think that they can convince people to do things like buy their product. Can you imagine a commercial today okay, that wants somebody to buy a product, buy a car, go on a trip, ending the message with a crucified man on a cross? Can you even imagine that? No, you can't. Can you imagine that somebody that you see as a hero, somebody that you look up to in the world... One day on his Instagram account says, now I'm going to be crucified. Tomorrow I'm going to the electric chair. And oh, by the way, I want you to follow me. How many people of the world would say yes? None. And of course, they should say none if it's a mere sinful human being. But they didn't see the difference between the sinless one and the sinful ones. It rejects everything they hold there. And therefore, it should never be preached in a way that appeals to people's sensibilities or their desires. And I, I, I have to say that that is what's going on in so much of the church today. Make the cross appealing. In fact, if it disturbs them, don't even mention it. Just tell them that God loves them and that God wants them to have a great life. And all this is going to happen you know, if you believe in Christ. That's a message that's pretty popular. You know, let's be friendly to the unbeliever and give them a friendly message, a warm, comforting message that makes them feel at home. The message of the cross is not friendly. How can it be friendly? It turns upside down everything that the world thinks. No, the word of the cross is offensive. Anybody who wants to live the good life, the word of the cross is offensive to them. In other words, the word of the cross is a scandal. To our civilized world, it's a scandal to Wall Street. It's a scandal to Hollywood. It's a scandal to upper education. All of that. It's a scandalous thing. Why? Because it turns to everything that they live for and say, that's worthless. That's scandalous to people. What? I I spent 10 years to get my doctorate so I can impress everybody with my knowledge. And you're telling me that has none effect in my salvation? See, that's what I mean by it's an affront to the world. It's offensive to people. It's a scandal to the, civilized, the so-called civilized world. Why? Because you know what the greatest civilization was in the day that Jesus was crucified? 
the Roman Empire. And what, what, what was their response to Jesus? To crucify him. The civilized world, don't think that because somebody's civilized, that that means that they're, you know, on the right track when it comes to God. They're usually on the wrong track entirely. Oh, by the way, a little closer to home. If we're being honest, the word of the cross is also offensive to our fleshly sensibilities. The idea of what we want to be and do in the social realm. So many Christians want to pull their punches because like, oh, this will ruin the dinner if I mention the offense of the cross. I get that. But you have to understand that's the flesh doing that. You know, the, the, the new man, the one who is spiritually appraising things, understands that this is the greatest thing that they could ever hear. This is the very power of God at work. And it can save them from the lake of fire. But our flesh doesn't want to bring up the cross in polite company. What do we want to do so often? We want to ignore it. And I'll tell them about the resurrection, but I'm going to ignore the cross. Or we'll water it down. We'll wear it as jewelry. I have it on this morning, as a matter of fact. Anything but face the awful truth of it. Anything but that. You see, the message of the cross is supposed to shatter people's expectations. Expectations about themselves, most importantly. I mean, think about it. If you think that, you know, I'm mostly a good person, I'm doing well, I'm progressing, you know, more and more people see how great I am. And then the word of the cross comes and says, don't you understand that God's son had to die a miserable death for you? Shatters your self-image. Not only that, but God. Some people have a certain view of God. It gets shattered when they, when they understand that he, he sent His Son to the cross to die for them. That's not a God that most people think of when they think of God. And about their life. Where is my life going? Why am I here? What am I supposed to dedicate my time and my resources to? Think about that question in terms of the people in your life that are not believers in Christ. What is it? What are they dedicating their time and their resources and all of that, their money, all of that? What are they dedicating it to? Well, there's different answers to that. But the unbeliever is not doing any of that for Christ, you see. And so when you come in and you say that the only thing that I want to preach to you is Christ and Him crucified, that just shatters everything about what they think life is is about, if God's Son was really crucified for me, then everything I thought I knew about life is wrong. It's wrong. And it's the same thing for the people that you witness to. Once they grasp, once they, they, the Holy Spirit has convicted them that Jesus is God's Son and He was crucified for them, everything they thought and they knew about life, they realize is wrong. You see, you see that's the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. For the Jew, if the Messiah was really crucified, everything I thought I knew about Jehovah is now turned upside down. That's what this message does. So we have to be prepared for that. We have to be prepared for the worldly wise to scoff at us, to laugh at us, to ridicule us when we preach the word of the cross without any embellishment. We have to be prepared for Jewish people in our lives to get angry with us. To say, what are you saying about Jehovah? You're saying He had to die on a cross? That makes no sense to me. He is the one who parted the Red Sea. 
That's what makes no sense. He's the one who's supposed to be coming back as the king. You're telling me that he was crucified on a Roman cross. That angers me. How do you, that's blasphemy to me. How can you say that about Jehovah? But to us who are being saved, that very message, think of it, is the very power of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, very simply, it means this. The word of the cross takes action. We don't. Our words don't. The word of the cross does. It's taking action. It's powerful and, and is to be the thing. Think about it. There's nothing more effective than the word of the cross to a person who is, who is having the Holy Spirit convict them that they need a Savior. It actually, the word of the cross is so powerful, takes such great action, that it actually makes saints out of lost sinners. I can think of nothing more powerful than that. Nothing. To take a saint who is lost, who is dead in their trespasses and sins, and make them alive and make them saints in God's eyes. Now that's power. What is it that God says, this is the way that I want you to have, have that opportunity to see that happen in somebody's life? Preaching the word of the cross. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 1 and we'll pick it up at verse 19. Verse 19. The word of the cross, verse 18, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. For it is written, I, God, will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Notice here that he doesn't just say, I will reveal the wisdom of the wise as stupid. What does he say? I will destroy it. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ does. It destroys the wisdom of the wise. The cleverness of the clever, I, God, will set aside. That will be of no effect. By the way, here's a quotation. In the Bible I use, it's all in capitals. It makes it easy for me to say, oh yeah, that's a, that's a quotation from the Old Testament. And indeed this is. It's from Isaiah 29.14. We're not going to go there. I'm just going to summarize that section of Isaiah so you understand why it would be that Paul would quote that in Isaiah 29.14. At the time that Isaiah was prophesying to Judah, they were afraid that the Assyrians, a powerful empire to their east, would attack them. They were concerned about that. The wise got together. The wise people, the leaders of of Judah got together and said, what should we do? And they decided they were going to make an alliance to the country to their west, Egypt. Now, if you 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 understand uh, what Egypt meant... To the Jews, Egypt, by the way, was the place that they were slaves in, where they had to be rescued by the miracle of the ten um, miracles that Moses performed and the parting of the Red Sea, that Egypt. And yet they were going to go make an alliance with that country because they were now afraid of the country to their east, Syria. But here's the thing, that totally backfired. This is what happens to the wisdom of the world. You know, I think in my country, myself, um, after, after oh, I'm going to get political, I can't do that. But there, after, you see an event that makes all the sense in the world, 
right? Of course we should do such and such. And then, then five years later, it blows up in our face. That was the stupidest thing we could ever do. Yeah, why? Because the wisdom of the world, God will destroy. You see, when, when Judah made an alliance with Egypt because they were afraid and wanted to prevent an attack from Assyria, guess what happened? It totally backfired. Why? Because the very alliance that they made with Egypt got Assyria all worked up. And it was because of the alliance that they attacked Judah. See what I mean about the destroying the wisdom of the wise, the cleverness of the clever I was set aside. And finally, after, the, after they seemed to be desperate and about to be overrun, then God intervened with his wisdom in a way that human wisdom would never have guessed. He actually took one angel, and that one angel wiped out 186,000 soldiers in the Assyrian army in one night. The human wisdom, a disaster. God's wisdom, amazing. But it's not something that the natural man would ever think about or expect. He sets aside the cleverness of the clever. All right, verse 20. Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Let me see what they have, right? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He's made it foolish. And he made it foolish at the cross where this is revealed about God's ways. God's way of saving us versus the world's wisdom about how a man could be perfected. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't even come to know God. Isn't that interesting? So this is why we, we don't think we can like argue and outsmart an unbeliever who wants to approach God by the way of, I'll figure this out. I'll put it together. That's never going to work. The wisdom of the world did not come to know God. You know, you see all these intellectuals and they're trying to argue for the existence of God. Well, that's fine. But that's not the way in which people come to know God. It's not. So you're, you're really kind of wasting your time if you take that approach to trying to witness to an unbeliever. In the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased. I want you to listen to this. We'll get to this in a couple of minutes. God was well pleased through the, what's the next word? Foolishness of what? The message preached to save those who believe. In other words, and we'll see this, the very foolishness of the message, the way in which the message makes no sense to the world, that very foolishness is what the thing about the message that will save people. Not worldly wisdom, not signs and wonders, but a message that would otherwise make, 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 seem as foolishness to them, but somehow, some way, the Spirit opens the eyes of their heart, and now all of a sudden they realize what I thought was foolish is the most powerful thing in the world. Now here in verse 20, though, he asks four questions. They're rhetorical questions. In other words, he knows the answer before he asks it. He wants to get the Corinthians and us to think about it, though. He asked to see three different kinds of people. The wise man, where is he? The scribe, where is he? The debater of this age, the one who likes to argue, where is he? Now, I want, you to, I want to tell you what these are, to try to transfer them in a way that we can understand it now. These are categories of men. They were men that people in that day and age turned to for guidance, turned to for wisdom. In other words, we can call them and group them together as 
experts. This is what the experts have to say. This is what the smart people have to say. That's who they were at that time. The elite, if I could put it that way. The elite. When it comes to the cross of Christ, where are the elite? Where, where are the theologians even? Where are the PhDs? Where are the scientists? You see, they can do nothing about trying to make sense out of that. They can't. That's, that's why people that want to, Christians that want to use science to prove anything about the Bible are missing the boat. That's never going to convince anything about anything in the Bible. What does? The word itself, as ministered to by the Holy Spirit, that's it. Not our clever arguments. I'm going to, and I've been so guilty of this. I'm going to learn all about Darwin's theory, and I'm going to tell them why it's wrong. Well, that's fine, but that's not going to get them to believe in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it's going to stimulate the very thing about them that is the big barrier to them believing in Christ. As long as you're telling, listen, the message I have to say is reasonable. It's sensible. As long as you say that, then you, the very thing that's going to save them, the foolishness of the message, you've just said, don't worry about that. Some of this is convicting. I know it's convicting to me first because I've done all these things. So why are the experts wrong? Here's why. They have a fatal flaw. You know what it is? They tend to fall in love with their own minds. If I could put it simply. That's what experts do. They fall in love with how smart they are, the things that they've figured out, the things that they've studied, the, 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 uh, the, wow, the insights that I've had. They fall in love with that. The product of their minds is what's important to them, the books that they write, and so forth. And so that's, that's a big... Now, that may be fine in the world, but that's useless when it comes to believing in Christ. And if they're in love with their own minds, if they're in love with all the things they produce with their intelligence, they're very unlikely to accept any message that doesn't fit into their system. If you come on in and everything that they have in their nice, neat, compartmentalized understanding that they think nobody else has, and you come in with something that rocks that boat, that has sends Humpty Dumpty having a great fall, they want none of it. They want none of it. That's why you can't do that. And that leads us to the fourth question that Paul asks in verse 20. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He made the wisdom of the world foolish, and he did it with the cross of Jesus Christ. From there, anybody who is inspired by the Spirit can see that all the wisdom of the world was itself foolish. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God... In other words, this is demonstration of how wise God is. In the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God. The scientist, with his great scientific approach and knowledge, that's not going to help him at all to come to know God. The PhD, not going to help him come to know God. And, and unfortunately, I have to say that many theologians who think they understand God, but they approach it from their intellect and how smart they are, they're not going to come to know God that way either. Why? Because it's the foolishness of the message preached. If you want to understand God, it's all at the cross. That tells you everything about God. That He's sovereign. That He's love. That He's righteous. That He's merciful. That's at the cross. You don't get that from figuring it out. You get that from just coming to the cross and on the knees of your heart and understand the immensity of what God accomplished there. 
All right. Please turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Look how Jesus puts the same point in Matthew 11, verse 25. Only Jesus makes it in the form of a prayer to his Father. Notice what he says, Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus said in prayer, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. The simple the nobodies of the world. He revealed it to them. He didn't reveal it by way of what the wisdom and intelligent people would want. He went to those who would simply believe it. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. God was so wise in setting things up so that the wisdom of the world would not lead men to salvation. Now, why is that so wise? Here's why. If the wisdom of the world did lead men to salvation, you know what that would mean? It would mean those who are the experts in the world's wisdom would have the inside track on salvation. The smart people would have an inside track on salvation. The informed people, the educated people, the sophisticated, the civilized, they would have an advantage and then the other poor slobs would have a disadvantage. If the wisdom of the world was the way in which God established things to lead men to salvation, that would be the most unfair thing in the world. He didn't. He didn't do that. That's, that's his wisdom. God turned that completely upside down. Instead of that, it would be the message of Christ crucified. The weakness of God. The message of Christ crucified. The foolishness of God. And that message proclaimed by what Paul called himself, the dregs of society. That's what he used. That's what he still uses. The dregs of society he uses. The ones that people think, well, he doesn't, he's not put together. You know, he's not that impressive. In fact, he came to us trembling. That's not very mighty or impressive or civilized. No, that's what he uses. He uses the message of the cross of Christ. He has it proclaimed by the dregs of society and then believed by those who were what? Not wise. Not mighty. Not noble. That's the ones. Now, see, now here's the thing. You might say, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I, I, I'm kind of wise. You know, I'm smart. I'm mighty. I have a position of power. I'm noble. Does that mean I can't believe in Christ? Of course not. What does it mean? It means that you've got to forget about your wisdom, forget about your power, forget about your nobility, and become just like the nobody. Just like the publican before in the temple where he said, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. No longer do you see yourself as wise, or see yourself as mighty, or see yourself as noble, but a lost sinner like everybody else. So that pleased God. Why? Because it frustrated any, any, any human attempt to try to rely on human resources. And I don't mean the department in your company. Not that human resource, but any human resource. 
intellect, power, money, sophistication, connections, anything like that, nobility, mightiness, looked up to by the world, wise. It frustrated any of those things, any human attempt at all to rely on human resources. God says basically this. He says, my way or no way. (laughs) My way or no way. Not by the wisdom of the world. Not by signs. My way. By hearing the foolishness of the message preached and believe it. It's the very foolishness of the matter. I want you to focus on that. It's the foolishness. In other words, it's not simply the message. But it's the foolishness of the message that gets people saved. Take that in. Don't expect to impress people when you preach the gospel. Expect them to give you the look like, what? That makes no sense to me. That's the natural reaction. But it's that very foolishness. If you think about it, when the Spirit has an opportunity to work on them after that encounter with you, and and then they start to understand, wait a minute. If that foolishness to me is really the way God acts in his most amazing act of saving me, then I throw out everything. And I, can, I just have to get on my knees like everybody else and believe. That's what the foolishness does. Your wisdom, your cleverness doesn't do that. It's the foolishness of the message preached. Why? How can that be? Because at that moment, the natural-minded man is stripped of his pride. Intellect taken away. Demands for evidence, not going to work. Now at that point, they must simply believe in God's foolishness. That's the only avenue left to them. And that's the way God wants it. He's hidden these things from the wise and the mighty and revealed them to mere children. Mere children are not intelligent. They have built-in intelligence, but they don't have the wisdom of the world yet. They, they don't have all the resources that, a, that a, an adult would. But they do have something. That is the ability to hear something, understand it's from the right source, and believe it. And that's what God asks of all of us. Verse 22. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. That's another way to categorize everybody, by the way, Jew and Gentile. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, foolishness. God's foolishness was saving the world by having his son die for us. That seems foolish. And yet that was what he did. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, the believers, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, Not a miracle, not a sign and wonder. By miracles, I'm not talking about the ones in the Bible, but how people try to say, oh, this miraculous thing happened in my life. And and now, you know, if if you just buy that, and you're impressed by what I'm telling you, then you'll believe. No, that's not the way it works. It's by realizing that Christ is the power of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. Why? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. What men consider foolishness God declares as being his wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than men. God had his son become weak to save us. That was was God's strength. When we are weak now, 
We are strong. It makes no sense to the natural-minded man, but that's how God does things. The, the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, in verse 22, for indeed Jews ask for signs. Greeks search for wisdom. You see how it's their asking and it's their searching? That's very important. Why? Because in verse 22, what we have are the conditions that men place on God before they will believe. The Jew says, I won't believe unless I see a sign. The Greek says, I won't believe unless my appetite for wisdom is fulfilled. That's men, you know, asking God to give them something that they want before they'll believe. In other words, they're saying, all right, did that. All right, did that. Did I? Yeah. I want this one. Yeah, when, they, when Jews uh, ask for signs and the Gentiles search for wisdom, they're basically saying this to God. Prove it to me. Go ahead, God. You said that. Prove it. The Jews said, you've got to show me. It's not enough that I hear the power of the cross preached. Now you've got to show me something. And when you see it that way, you understand that that is just way off. You know, basically what they're doing is trying to put God on trial. If you, if you pass my standards, then I'll believe in you. If you show me the sign that I want, then I'll believe in you. If, if, you, if I understand, if I finally have my search for wisdom met by your message, then I'll believe in you. Jews ask for signs. It's always been this way. God had to part the Red Sea to get them to go the way he wanted them to go. Think about that. It was always doing miracles, all the miracles in the desert. And, and oh, by the way, did it work? Did all the miracles in the desert bring them to faith and trust the Lord no matter what? No. No. The Jews ought to learn from their history that the signs aren't going to do it. It's the, it's the foolishness of the message priest preached. When Jesus came, they, did, they were at it again. They kept asking him, perform a sign. Perform a sign so that we might believe in you. By the way, they were lying when they said that. You want to know how I know that? He already performed signs for them. By the time they were saying this, he had already fed 5,000, I believe, and, and healed people and brought people back from the dead. But now they wanted another one in order to believe. No. If he had given them another one, they wouldn't have believed either. And they were never going to believe him, at least not in that way. See, the problem with asking for signs and miracles and testimonies is that they're like a drug. The natural-minded man will demand more and more of them. And then, even after that, it won't matter. Christ has one sign for them, the word of the cross. That's the power of God. That's the wisdom of God. But you see, the preaching of Christ crucified was a stumbling block to the Jews. Well, the word actually means this, a scandal. It was scandalous to them that their Messiah was crucified. It was a death trap. It was something where they, at that point they didn't, want, they didn't want to hear anything else. And they were just putting a big barrier between them, the only way of having eternal life. They were expecting the king of glory, a strong king, a mighty king, mighty in battle. Now one day Jesus will come as that king of glory. But God's way was to have him die for our sins first. Greeks search for wisdom. Oops. No, yeah. 
Greeks search for wisdom. I had that point too. It's true. To the Jew, a crucified Messiah was a contradiction in terms. It still is today. Contradiction in terms. No. Messiah and crucified do not belong together in any way, shape, or form, according to the Jewish thinking. All right. Greeks search for wisdom. This is another endless search. If you know anybody who is searching for wisdom, wanting to know the inside scoop on everything, wanting to be convinced in a way that appeals to their intellect, that's an endless search. The preaching of Christ will never make sense to them as long as they approach God's wisdom as if it needed to please their intellects. Christ crucified never makes sense to them as long as they expect God's wisdom to come in a package that pleases their intellect because that's what they're really interested in. No, when you and I witness to the unbeliever, we are not to try to outsmart them. Why? Because this appeals to their intelligence. Human wisdom is the very thing, though, that makes it so hard for them to believe. That's why we shouldn't do it. Same thing with trying to impress people with signs or the miraculous or testimonies, by the way, by, sign, by miracles. I don't mean at all the miracles of the Bible. That's tremendous. The whole Gospel of John is providing signs for people to believe, but it's signs about Jesus. It's not the contemporary kind of things that people want to impress people with. Or even testimonies, you know. Our testimonies won't work. I know a lot of people are taught to give their testimony. That's of no power when it comes to saving the lost. Why? Because only one thing is. The power of the message of Christ crucified. Not you and me and our testimony. See, these methods that we try to use tell people that they have the right to require something of God first before they will believe. Give me this and maybe I will believe, Lord. God provides them everything that they need to believe, but it's not what they want. God simply appoints a faithful herald who will simply proclaim the powerful word of the cross. That's everything they need, but it's not what they want. Look at verse 24. But those who are the called, Jews and Greeks, whoops, Jews and Greeks, let me start that again. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. To the unbelieving Jew, Christ crucified is weak and powerless. To the unbelieving Greek, Christ crucified is foolish. But to those who believe in him, Christ is the opposite. He's not powerless. He's the very power of God. His cross demonstrates the power of God. His cross demonstrates the wisdom of God. When God allowed his son to die, he appeared foolish to the world. When God allowed his son to die, he appeared weak to the world. But that world is blind, is blind. Little did they know that the cross of Christ revealed God's wisdom and God's power to the utmost, like nothing ever would or could. Little did they know. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we ask you now to, as we take in these, your words and Try to, try to have them deeply in our hearts. We would just ask now that the Holy Spirit 
would once again do what he always does, which is to impress your words upon our heart. Help them to change the way we approach witnessing if we need to. And Father, we also pray this morning for the lost here in South Florida, in our neighborhoods, in our families, at work. We would pray for them too, Father, that, that they will just hear the message and believe it. And we know that that's where the power is. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Just a couple of announcements, just reminders. We do have Bible study every Thursday at 7. This week we're going to be um, discussing what we're going to study next, so it's a great time to come. Also going to have a Q&A session for those of you who have any questions about Bible things. So I encourage you to come for those things. also want to mention once again today, our giving policy is not to require people to tithe or, or even to pass the basket. You may have wondered, well, how come there's no basket at the end of the service? Um, I'm used to that, you know. Well, because that's not the way God wants us to do it. What he wants us to do is to tell you that he's developing in your heart the same giving attitude that he has. And therefore, this is by grace, the grace that he has shown you, and you graciously and freely given to support the preaching of the word of the cross. That's the way God wants it. Okay. We do provide means for doing that. Again, we have the box in the back of the church. That's one way. You can, we have um, your ad, our address you can mail. You can also go online. But always do it with the right motivation, with gratitude for what God has done in the preaching of the word of God. All right. Let's close in prayer. Father, once again, we just want to thank you for your grace now. We want to thank you that when we were lost, you sent your son Jesus to die for us. You raised him from the dead by believing in him. Us who were dead in our trespasses and sins, you make alive. You've actually seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. So, Father, we will never, never get, get beyond your grace and your wisdom and your power. And thankfully, we won't, because that's where life is. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just a reminder, too, that um, I do come over here in the front after service. I do that um, just so that if you have any questions or comments or concerns, I'm I'm making myself available um, after service for that purpose. All right, you're dismissed now. Enjoy this day. Oh.